fulfillment coach, a, a speaker, entrepreneur, musician, so much more, man. Thank you again for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. Yes, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm really grateful. And I'm really excited to give our, our listeners some, some value today. Come on. I like to dive right into it, man. So let's, let's go back to early days. What was childhood like for you, man? Did you have positive influences in your life or, or how did that look like? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you asked. Um, I was raised by, my father was a factory worker, right? Yeah. And he was like a grinder. He had like three, three jobs at one time, like <laughs> doing a bus driver. He was working in the factory and I forget what the third one he was doing. My mother was a stay at home mom for my brother and my sister. And then when it came to me coming around, she, you know, she went to work. So she was in HR. Um, and I always tell the story that, you know, my dad, I think their intentions as a, as a, as a power couple, right? Like they got married in high school. So they're high school sweethearts, like the old school methodology, right? And so I think their intention was, you know, to be great parents. Um, and my dad would give me, you know, a lot of good speeches, like, you know, what you get out of life, you, you, you get out of life, what you put into it, these types yeah. of things. Yeah. And uh, when I'm like fourth grade, fifth grade, my dad would tell me, you know, like anything you set your mind to, son, like you can be anything you want to do, like you can do that, right? And I'm from Indiana, this little small little, you know, farm town. You're from Idaho, so I'm sure you could relate, right? Yeah. And so uh, what's interesting was I started working with my first mentor. And my first mentor was a guy that we hear about, someone who writes a famous song, but the celebrity takes the song and you never hear about the original creator. So right. when I'm hearing all these messages about I can do anything I set my mind to, I'm in the studio, uh, in his home studio, like making music and taking my poetry. I started writing poetry when I was five. Taking wow. my poetry and putting it to these beats, right? But I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just hitting buttons and like making sounds, right? And yeah. so I just fell in love with that. And I go to my dad and I was like, dad, dad, like, I figured out what I'm going to do. Like, I figured out what I'm going to be. And he's like, what, son? Like, tell me, like, what, what do you want to do? I was like, I'm going to be a musician. And my dad was like, negative. Like, <laughs> no, like, you cannot do that. And it wasn't like one of those, like, let me use some reverse psychology and, like, get you amped up and tell you yeah. you can't. He was serious. Like, you can't. And so early on, my dad became, we had a very rocky relationship. Uh, it was, like, good and bad at times. But he was public enemy number one because I felt like he was against me. I felt yeah. like he didn't believe in me. So uh, when I was in high school, in high school with the glory years, I grew up with a very unique bunch of male friends that were all masculine, but everybody was like all about swag. We had all these different color suits. Like I'll send you a photo, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so like, you know, we, we attracted a, a really cool energy. Um, and, and being in Indiana, it was a city that was uh, pretty diverse. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't like, you had all these different cliques and all that, and I was never yeah. about that. So fast forward, high school now, um, I'm from my uh, senior year, uh, from my government pig project in my class, I sold my teacher, Mr. Weir, on doing a concert for the, the project, like the final project. And he was like, all right, cool. And so we sold out 1,209 tickets in a 1,200 capacity venue, and I'm 18. So wow. the city's only like 16,000 to 30,000 capacity. So we did like 10% almost of the, the, the city. So yeah. everybody knew about it. And it was, it was like crazy intense. So I'm like basically locally famous. 18 years old, that goes in my head, didn't make no money, school made 10 grand, right? So I'm still at this time battling the interesting part. My parents were there, um, my family came in, like, I mean, it's packed, it's like, like before I came out, right? And this is kind of funny, Eric, I gotta tell you this one. So before I came out, I was, um, my rap name was Artistic, R-T-I-S-T-I-C. Okay. So I'm backstage, I had two opening acts, and I hear the crowd, and they're like, ah, dad, it's dad, ah, dad. 
And it's like going up in sound like a um, gladiator movie. I felt like, are you not entertained? Like that's what I felt like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, you, awesome. would think, you would think, um, and I still can't, I still don't understand it to this day. Like I just stopped trying. But you would think that uh, being that my parents were there, that they would be like, okay, let's let's go do this now. Like he's serious, like this is real. Yeah. They still didn't want me to do it. Wow. So, you know, now fast forward to I'm 22 years old. I'm still, I'm happy and, and grateful to an extent because we just had this massive sellout, but I didn't make no money. So your masterpiece, 50 Cent came out that year, Lil Wayne, Jay-Z, all these guys sell drugs and fund their rap careers with drug money. Wow. I didn't want to do that. Not yeah. knocking that, but that wasn't for me. So right. I was like, well, I still need you know capital to be able to put into this business. So now fast forward, I'm 22. We do a sophomore concert. It's bigger. It's it's uh, more PR. We're in on like when you go. I went to Ball State University. So when you go to bsu.edu, my face is at the bottom of the screen. Like it's in, it's insane. So <laughs> the capacity of the venue though is 3,300. It's 45 minutes away from where I'm from. How many tickets would you guesstimate we sold? Man, I would say at least 2,000. Drive only. Thank you, right? 333 <laughs> tickets oh out of 3,500, 3,300, excuse me. So 333 tickets is fun, phenomenal. Like that sells yeah. out majority of Austin downtown. Like majority yeah. of those, those clubs sold out. In an auditorium, that's like crickets. And yeah. so here I am, like, all I want to do is music. I'm experiencing this. People keep coming up to me and they're like, like after the show, they're like, you know, um, how was the show? And I was like, you know, you should have effing came. Like I was so bitter. I was so enraged because everybody on campus knew about it. My yeah. face is at the bottom of our login port, <laughs> like, which was crazy. Right? Yeah. You know, drop out of school. And now I'm going to just, like I said, summarize the whole thing so you can kind of see the journey. We're going to take it really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I worked for a lot of corporations between 2000, 2002 to 2011. Um, so I worked for Google University Phoenix Dish Network, and I sat with the top performers, mastering top performer mindset and psychology when it comes to sales and humans. So I was basically getting a master's degree in human psychology, learning how to, uh, from all these different top performers, how to set that up. Yeah. Uh, 2010, 2011, I worked for University of Phoenix. So I took all that sales skill, and now I was an enrollment counselor. So my role was to not only get the students in, but to then mentor them along the way. So I helped one of my first students, uh, Melissa Briscoe, I'll never forget, she has some amazing challenges. I helped her to get her associate's degree. And so next to that first concert, that was the hugest win I have ever experienced. Like I felt so much like, I just felt so proud of that. Like I was a part of that success, which yeah. is how I get into the life coaching now. That was the seed of where life coaching started, right? Gotcha. So from 2011 to 2014, I'm still doing, while I'm doing these corporations, I'm still doing events and music and all that on the side, doing that for a company called All Around Entertainment, which I still own. And um, couldn't figure out just how to scale it. Like, didn't have any business knowledge, didn't really know what that was like. Yeah. 2014, I now start learning about how Facebooks are built, how technology companies are built. I read Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within. And when I read that book and all these other ones, I was like, dude, to build one of these companies, it's the same process that it takes to build a musician's brand. Why yeah. does the musician side of it, the artist side, pay out way differently it's the infrastructure and the economy is so it's it's one of the hardest businesses to be in period Absolutely. so uh now we're going to fast forward 2014 to 2015 i finally got fed up with music i was like i'm done i put it down 
built a couple other businesses, and then it came back. And when it came back, I saw a gap. And then this is the last thing I want to share so that everybody's uh, like, they're, they got it. They're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I had this idea before Masterclass, before Eric Thomas, and before Peter Booth. And I had this idea as I'm learning about coaching and I'm learning about entrepreneurialism and I've got this music background. I was like, man, and this is when Michael Jackson was alive. So that tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> it was like, man, what if Michael Jackson took all his content, sent everybody a cease and desist letter, right? Put all his content on his own app, did a subscription and then taught courses on like dancing or whatever. And when I had that idea, my mind was like, Right. Like with $1,200 a course on average for an entrepreneur course, then they would probably pay more than that for Michael Jackson. I was like, right. dude, that's a trillion dollar business. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to build that. And so then Masterclass came out thereafter. Uh, Eric Thomas and Peter Vuk took their speeches, put it on hip hop beats, called that a mixtape, which is direct hip hop rapper verbiage. And then I was like, man, this edutainment is gonna be the next thing. Yeah. Um, I, wanna, I wanna be the face of that. I wanna be you know, the guy that is like the Jeff Bezos of that. And then the last thing I'll say is Elon Musk launched a song last week. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, he just did a, a this like a electro record. I heard it's not really any good. <laughs> People are now using, you know, this creative their creative talents yeah. matching that to their business talents and then using that to give them a competitive advantage so that's what we're doing and that's pretty much the the story up to now wow man a crazy story which i love i mean it's so awesome to hear that that journey and where you're at today one of the questions i want to ask those because i was reading on your bio that concert that you had promoted and you only sold like 333 tickets what is going through your mind before you walk out on stage at that event there? Rage. Rage, yeah. Rage, yeah, because I could see, you have a TV back behind the, 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 the curtains, right? So I can right. see out there, even though it's black, I can still see, right? I can yeah. also hear, I had one uh, opening app for that show and she was fantastic. She could play like Alicia Keys and sing like Mariah Carey. She was wow. phenomenal, yeah. <laughs> phenomenal talent. And so, you know, when she gets done, I can hear how loud the audience cheers, right? So I can hear that, that sound. Yeah. Reason why I was, so, I was so bitter was because, not just because it, it, it didn't do well, but it took a year to produce, a year and some change. We had yeah. a movie screen drop down to open the show, documentary style video. I had this girl that sounded like Evanescence, like singing the, the Diamond in the Rough. And it has, I'll send you the photo so you can see this if you want to check it out. Yeah. But it had the, the album cover and the girl's like, uh, she's like, Diamond in the Rough, Diamond in the Rough, Diamond in the Rough. And I come in, I gave y'all the best of me. I, I gave y'all the best of me. And it goes into the savage part, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right when it goes savage, you hear a glass shatter. When the glass shatters, the album breaks into pieces. Movie screen goes up. Two spotlights come into this auditorium. We had two guy dancers in camouflage on the right, two girl dancers in camouflage on the left. And then I come out center stage, like in the audience, and the audience goes crazy. So putting out that kind of production level quality at that age, yeah. and then no one come, you know, come out for it. Dude, I was, I was hurt. And I was hurt because so many people were like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Uh, where I think I went wrong, like looking back on it, Dave Chappelle, this is when Dave Chappelle was at his peak as well. So when he was okay. doing the what and all the like <laughs> prints and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So um, Dave Chappelle came to our college and the ticket price was $22. Okay. I was selling my ticket price at $16. 
So obviously I'm I'm a college student. People are like, I'm not paying $16 to go see a college student that I know, right? right. So uh, anyway, it was an interesting uh, time, but immediately, you know, I called my dad. I think it was like a week. I called my dad. I had, I, well, let me back up. I had had so many people. I'm not talking about uh, one, two person. I'm talking about I'm locally famous again on campus. Yeah. So right. now people are coming up to me like, dude, how, like, I mean, this is like a con consistent, like 30 person to 50 person a day talking to me about the show while I'm trying to go to class. And so I'm like, okay, I can't take this anymore. I'm still bitter. I'm still enraged. I call my dad, no job, no money. And I'm like, dad, I'm going to Atlanta. And my dad's like, going to Atlanta. I was like, I'm going to make sure everybody remembers who I am. That's how just, I was in my ego. I was in my head. I was still hurt. And my dad was like, I think you need to, you know, kind of come home rebalance, refocus, and get clear. So that's what I did. Okay. Uh, I was dropped, dropped out of school immediately. Like had, uh, went from a 3.2 GPA to a 2.7 and dropped out. I was just like, uh, like, yeah, hurt, <laughs> hurt. One of the things that you and I have in common is it, it looks like you and I both have worked over 30 jobs in our lifetime. Why do you think you changed jobs so much? I kind of know my idea of why I did, but I would love to hear your idea. I felt there was a few things I felt. I felt like uh, the I, out of all the organizations I worked for, the only manager that I liked and respected was the one at University of Phoenix. Like okay. me and him had a heart to heart sit down. It was a really awesome story as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of companies I worked for, I felt like people, um, just the intentions weren't really about the people. I felt like uh, just a cog in the wheel. Yep. Uh, working with Google, interesting story, not to slander Google, but just real talk. So Google, I sold Google tags when Google Maps was a new thing. Gotcha. And with them specifically, I didn't mind that team, um, but I had a, like, I was selling so many, they had like the, I don't know if you remember the little red balloons, they had like an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Yeah. And so I would sell so many of the little tags within that listing that I was like, if they're gonna pay $25 a month, like what happens when I sell the whole entire list? Like then you don't stand out anymore. I was like, this product is trash and I can't put myself on any product that lacks integrity. Yep. So when I had that thought, I was out. So it was, it was a mixture of uh, crappy management um, or crappy leadership. Yeah. Uh, then it was a mixture of products that didn't work. And then the fact that I was so, I still was wanting to do me. And yeah. so the, the, the corporations were really just a financial outlet so I could build the, the dream anyway. So I think that those three things was the reason why I was like yeah. negative. <laughs> what was that breaking point for you that got you to where you're at today? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. And it's a loaded question because it, to me, they all lump together as to one big breaking point, yeah. right? Like my dad telling me that, giving me that gift of ferocity right. really was a key moment. Because that gave me that hunger and that drive, um, you know, with Melissa Briscoe getting that that degree, that associate's degree, like had that not happened or had I not been to University of Phoenix, I probably wouldn't be a coach now. Right. I was very egotistical and in my head and then, you know, just being young and stupid. <laughs> so, right. you know, those, those two moments. And then I would say when I got into, I like really got into reading, like I hated reading as a, as a kid because I was always reading stuff I didn't like. Yeah. So once I got into the um, appreciation of reading books that like self-development, those three things I think were major breakthroughs because it changed who I am and how I think and who I surround myself with. So those, those are the three key pillars. Nice. I mean, today, like you're an inspiration engineer. What does it mean to be an inspiration engineer, man? 
So <laughs> that's a funny story too. I'm trying not to go super long way this time. I was having an experience. So, okay. So Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and these guys, they would always say like, the more skills you have, the more valuable you are to the marketplace. Yeah. Which is true. Also though, <laughs> the more skills you have, the more confused the marketplace is by what you do. So, you know, when you speak a lot of languages, nobody gets confused. If you say, I speak Spanish, English, French, Italian, Mandarin, nobody's like, well, Eric, which one do you speak? You're like, I speak all of them. <laughs> With skills, they're like, which skill are you? Like, which you told me all your different skills, they don't all go under this, you know, umbrella. Yeah. Which one are you? So as a public speaker, a salesperson, a marketer, you know, audio engineer, singer, writer, uh, rapper, poet, like I'm just naming off a few, designer, I do design, like there's all these things that I can do. Yeah. Uh, whenever I was around certain people, I would go to the chamber of commerce, I would go, you know, wherever, I would change the message to who I was talking to. And I was like, this feels inauthentic. Like I don't, I don't like it. Like I just right. don't like having to be these different personas. And so I finally made a decision. I was like, I'm gonna, pick up my own title. I'm going to create my own lane. And I came up with 10 uh, different titles that I liked. And then I had my community pull them. Okay. And so they're the ones that showed inspiration, uh, engineer and how that all came to be. So that's how that, how that worked out. Come on. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yes. yes. I, I love to you know, ask this question, especially to leaders in like his position that you're in, but what is it that makes an extraordinary leader? I think extraordinary leaders have to have a lot of empathy and they have to first off love their team. Like yeah. when you love your team, I'm not talking about you like your team. I'm talking about you go to bat for your team. You'll take a pay cut or a yeah. loss just to make sure they win. Right. There's not a lot of managers that will do that. You've got to be able to adapt your leadership style because we're humans, we're not robots. So different people function different ways. You've got to be able to, to adapt and, uh, I tell everybody that uh, my leadership style is, is big brother. It's like a good big brother because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm fun. I'm playful. I hold you accountable. I'll give you a kick in the pants if you need it. Um, we're going to uh, bond in the ways that you things that they like to do. Right. So I think that a leader, a great extraordinary leader needs to have different components to make sure that they know that this person has my best interest at heart, holding them accountable still having fun in the process and still being able to get them to execute. Those are the things that I think make an extraordinary leader. Man, that's awesome. And one of your students actually in the first year of your coaching, right? She hit a hundred thousand dollars. He did. Okay. He did. Yeah. What, what, what was he doing, man? That's awesome that you were able to help him get there. Yeah. So he was working at Zillow. Okay. Um, and it was, it was a really interesting uh, process. He, so we had a lot of uh, behavioral assessments. Uh, we still do. They give us a lot of data about how your brain functions mechanically. Gotcha. So he has a COO personality profile, which means he's super left brain, which means that he's sequential, he's analytical, he's methodical, like his like linear thinking, whereas I'm more of a right brain with a, you know, I, I'm aware that I need more left brain like attention, but I'm more <laughs> right brain. So it took us a little bit, a while, to really uh, come together and gel with my coaching style to how he absorbs. So he would rather me send an email that's like, you know, massively like this, right? Like <laughs> send a massive email with yeah. all the like work cited as to how I arrived at this philosophy okay. and fact checked. And then he's like, okay, I got it. Call they got me. But before that I'm talking audibly because I'm an audible listener and it's going in one ear and out the other. So yeah. uh, once we got past that little hurdle, 
uh, he was with me for 15 months. So for the first uh, three months he was doing, uh, well, excuse me, uh, initially he was doing $2,200 base and like a nine to 12% close ratio. Like he wasn't okay. doing well at all. He was like, I need to do this, get this bread. So yeah. after uh, six months, he went from 12% to a 15% uh, close ratio. Uh, at the nine month mark, he was at an 18% close ratio. At the 11 to 12 month mark, he was at a 22% close ratio. At the 15 month mark, he was at a 31% close ratio and he was leading the team in the Northwest division in Seattle. And that was the very first student that Calvay created. Calvay Creative is our education uh, side of our brand, which we're still developing, but um, he was a part of that um, that, uh, functionality of of our empire in the education sector and our first student. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. How does your faith fit into your life mission? Oh, I love that question. That's a fantastic question. Um, everything as a Christian entrepreneur, uh, God, well, I, I have to be fully honest. So God, it, God is meant to be first in everything that I do. I will yeah. say this. There's times where I'm just grinding. I'm like, Lord, I forgot to read that devotional. Or I forgot to go through that scripture. I go, right, yeah. but, but I know that it's him that is the key to everything yeah. that I do. So being that I know that he's the key, I think that uh, as as Christian believers, our goal is to resemble um, or or you know where he, he's the light, and then we his light reflects off us, right? Yep. So uh, I went through a few different Bible plans on the Bible app around like Christian business, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to learn like, okay, what did Jesus say about being a leader, being a businessman? You know, what did he say about wealth? Like, there's a uh, going back to my dad. My dad used to always say, he would always use that scripture about uh, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. So I grew up thinking like having riches was wrong. Like that's, there's right. a problem with that. Yeah. And so I went, I spent a lot of time and still do, I uh, spent a lot of time with the King of Kings to understand that. So uh, understand how he presented wealth, what he said about how we are to be as humans. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a center and core of everything that we do. Mm. Love it, man. And you just released a brand new single called Give It Time. It's awesome, by yes. the way. Thank Listen you. to it, man. It's so good. What's the Thank meaning you. behind that song, man? Everything about that song is about resilience and patience. Yeah. I wrote that song at a time when I was uh, suicidal, actually. Okay. And I wanted to, well, I did. I did a lot of research around uh, other brands like how long they took like Richard Branson was 17 years Eric Thomas was 20 years you know eating out of trash cans Steve Harvey was 22 years slept in his car for three years so I was just in my feelings like I was like you know I'm really in my feelings right now mm-hmm. and so give it time when I found that data then I understood like this is just a part of the process yeah. and so I wanted to put a fun song not a sad song but a fun yeah. song fun energy to let people know like give it time because that's what it takes yeah Come on. That's awesome. Come on. Let's go. I, I know we've got a few more co- uh, minutes left, but I wanted to ask some fun questions here for you. Sure. I've got these things. They're called pod decks. I'm going to okay. randomly pull one out. We'll see what it says. Sometimes they flop, sometimes they're win. This one says, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh. Should I say a healthy food or should I say what I really want? Because it would be pizza. It, we had a Mercurio's <laughs> pizza back in uh, Indiana where I'm from. Okay. Oh, Mercurio's pizza would be the one. Yes. Nice. Okay. I always have to ask this question to, to entrepreneurs especially, but does it take money to make money? No. No. It, it, it takes resources to make money. Yes. Yep. I agree. Favorite type of music or favorite band that you have? Uh, favorite type of music would be R&B. 
Okay. Now it is. Um, yeah. And then favorite band, if I got to go with a band, I'm going to shout out um, one of my buddies I used to work with. They, they're doing some big things. The Revivalists. Okay. Out of New Orleans, The Revivalists is an amazing band. I'll have to check them out, man. I love music. I, I worked for Universal Records way back in the day, man. And so oh. it, it kind of opened my eyes to all these different genres. I was a big metalhead in high school, you know, big stoner. And, you know, once I got the job with Universal, I'm like, no, you got to listen to country. You got to listen to R&B and hip hop. And my eyes just opened up. And now it's a, you know, vast variety of things I listen to. But, so. That is awesome, bro. I love that. I, me too, uh, variety as well. Um, as a sampler, you know, a hip hop sampler, you're always looking for different sounds to give your music like some variety so uh, we, we both relied on that too yeah man dude it has been such an honor to have you on my show this show will like blow up thank you so much for taking time out of the day man this was amazing thank you i've had a lot of fun this has been great you asked some great questions man can i do a shameless plug right quick absolutely absolutely guys i am not one of those people that is like too big for his britches meaning that i can't connect and i don't like to talk like please reach out to me and join our free group called Bay's World. So come and join. It's really quick. I'll send you, make sure you have the link. But yeah, come and join with us and commune with us. It's a lot of fun and a lot of energy there as well. Awesome, Eric. Well, I appreciate it again, sir. Guys, thank you so much for hanging around. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to see more videos from Top Rated MMA and the Bearded Biz Show, please click the playlist and also hit subscribe to our channel. Become part of the Top Rated MMA and Bearded Biz community. We would really appreciate your support. Also, please leave a comment below. I will read and respond to all of them. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day.